On July 30th, 2029, Baltimore turns 300. The Baltimore 2029 site exists to both celebrate the best of our home and to think out loud about the changes we want to see when we hit that milestone. If you look at median income and education rates, the Baltimore Metro is one of the most affluent areas in the country. We've had tremendous gains in cybersecurity, ed tech, biotech, and financial services. As a community, we don't do a good enough job of promoting the positives that do exist, and every positive gets drowned out by the negatives. We believe that if you grew up and or live in the Baltimore area, Anne Arundel, Baltimore City, Baltimore County, Carroll, Hartford, Howard, you are from Baltimore. Let's all acknowledge the issues we face while also doing a better job of touting our strengths. There are opportunities for you to help create solutions to our problems and opportunities here for you to benefit from our existing positives. How will you be a part of a better tomorrow in Baltimore? The conversations we do have have to be focused on addressing what we can address, correcting what we can correct. Transformation can come to this city if we collectively agree to build together. Let's build the city we want to have. Let's build together. Welcome into the Baltimore 2029 podcast. I'm joined today by Todd Marks. Excited to speak to him. First, a word from our sponsor, Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Uh, they're a third-generation family business established in 1959. They're located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster. They're the oldest floor-covering store in Carroll County and one of Maryland's longest flooring businesses. For all your flooring needs, think Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Todd, how are you doing? Great, Chris. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Uh, so with this Baltimore 2029 initiative, you know, part of what I, we're doing here is I want to shine the light on uh, uh, great stories locally and you and what you've accomplished with MindGrub is certainly an example and testament to that. Founded in 2002, Inc. 5000 for the last eight years. You've opened up offices in Charlotte, New York, Philly, and D.C. Really, Todd, just uh, congrats to you on what you've directly built and what you've shown is possible here in in Baltimore. you are one of our area's true uh, leaders, and you really deserve uh, credit for not just what you've built, but uh, but how you've done it. But everybody can look on, on the appreciate uh, that. Everybody can look on the outside now, and you can see the success. But let's kind of roll back a little bit and talk about kind of where it started, right? And, and uh, you know, talk about kind of founding a company, two thousand two, in Baltimore, and. Ooh, what you were thinking when you started the company and maybe some of the, uh, some of the adversity you might've dealt with uh, early on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, I don't know that I would go back and found a company again, although now I found it a, a dozen, <laughs> but, um, at the time I had started a previous company with some friends called digital organism and we had a decent two year run. Uh, we did websites, but we really, um, got into something called Flash, Macromedia Flash. It was Future Splash, became Macromedia later, Adobe. Now it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, But it was a big product in the turn of the century, 99 to 2001. We were Flash gurus and in books called New Masters of Flash. It was great. After September 11th, the market got soft. There was a a micro recession. And uh, we didn't have the experience or the capital to stay in business. And we went our separate ways. And at that point, you know, it was the first time I was really 
unemployed, and uh, but I got a taste of uh, working for myself. I was a minority partner, um, but I at that point wanted to try to work for myself again, and I had a skill, and that was Flash. So I started MyGrub in 2002. My first contract was at Air Inc., where they had a contract with BWI to redesign the arrival and departure screens. And we did that in Flash at the time because Flash allowed the screen to stay up, whereas other web technologies, HTML, you kept having to refresh the screen to refresh the data. Um, there wasn't dynamic HTML data at the time. So that was the first project, brutal, it was myself, but I couldn't figure out how to hire a second person, a third person. Uh, I was just myself for the longest time. And um, I had two kids at the time, I now have seven. Uh, which is part of my story as well, but two kids and um, I needed some stability. I needed healthcare. I couldn't just do, you know, two weeks here and there. So then I took a job with a department of defense contractor, good benefits, stable job, working for the government, uh, wasn't quite into lobotomizing myself um, and uh, really wanted to do, you know, emerging technologies and not necessarily the DOD thing. So I tried to go out again and start another company making mobile applications. This was 2005 around Windows Mobile, and it just didn't take off. It, the user experience wasn't great. Um, and even though it was an amazing technology, it was a mobile device you could connect to the Internet and with a GUI for the first time. didn't go anywhere, oddly enough. And so we struggled with this second company. I still had MineGrub on the side. It was a little bit of a freelance side hustle. Um, this new company um, was focused, Via Place was focused on, um, on Windows Mobile. We were trying to make a location-based services platform, didn't take off. So once again, took a job with somebody. Worked for a company founded by Deloitte in New York. Ended up doing enterprise website development. Um, I went between New York, Chicago, and Austin, working for Motorola, A&E, um, and other large organizations. Finally, in 2000. Seven, they released the iPhone. In 2008, in January, they released the SDK and said, developers, you can make your own apps for the iPhone platform. And that, you know, once again, third time's a charm. There's a lot of ways to cut this. Third time a charm trying to work for myself. I officially had my 10,000 hours or 10 years experience. There was massive disruption in the marketplace around the iPhone. And I had, at the time, four kids back in Baltimore. So, um, so it was just pure necessity that I said, I've, I've got to do this. I got to get home to the family. I need to make enough. I think this mobile app's the way to go. So I started um, really pushing on MindGrub. I also taught at UMBC at the time. So I started hiring some students to try to figure out mobile applications. Um, it would still take us three years to really get good at mobile. At the time, I was still you know, hustling, making websites and web applications, which I'd been doing for years to pay the bills while we figured out mobile. Because we were focused on mobile and it was sticky, it was a big differentiator. Um, our brand, MindGrub, got synonymous with mobile, with emerging technologies. And so starting in 2008, we were able to go from one person to finally two, and then two to four and then four to eight. Um, and now finally, you know, 12 years later, we're getting close to 200 um, and, and not doubling at 200% every year. We're growing consistently at 30%. And I think it's our ninth year um, on the Inc. 5000. If maybe I'm not supposed to announce that just yet. No, I think it's out. I think it's well known. We just got to change our stuff, but I'm going for 10. And, um, you know, and my goal was, you know, to be able to do 20 million by 2020 
and um, we achieved that as well. And, you know, it's, it, again, I, I don't know that I would do it again. I've had success now, 10 years later with the right disruption and the right experience. Um, and now Minecraft, you know, as I mentioned, 200 people, we've um, really expanded. We now have a robotics arm of the company. We have emerging tech where we do a lot of smart city and um, IOT. We have an agency consultancy and support sides of the businesses. And then we have some subsidiaries. We have a new venture company, two new venture companies, where we're investing in a number of portfolio companies, um, all of which are in the Baltimore area now, although we are looking nationally. Um, and we've gotten into development. We have a restaurant that just opened called The Mind Pub. And we have a new project called Future Town, uh, which, is, um, which is really a community program. It's going to be co-working, retail, and light manufacturing space in Pigtown. Um, and it's meant to kind of get MindGrub a little bit more into the the seams of Baltimore. And I can talk a little bit more about that, but I'll, I'll pause for uh, a lot of interesting things got going on. We'll get into a few of them, but I really love that story, Todd, just for the idea of that your growth wasn't um, a straight progression and, yeah. and, and, and that you had, you know, multiple steps forward and, and some back. And I, I, I talk to people sometimes, and again, I think they see the finished product, but not everything it took for you to necessarily get get to that point. And everything everything that you went through, there were learning. Uh, there was learning across the board. Uh, you were taking on those ten thousand hours, and you were accumulating your skills, but you were also finding out what was necessary for yourself, and what worked, and what didn't. What environment you wanted to be in, <laughs> what you didn't. So, you know. Really, credit goes to you for what uh, being able to utilize that time. You, you did key on one of the things I wanted to ask you about was I knew kind of from the beginning that MindGrub had the reputation of being uh, app development, and it was interesting to hear that story there. But you guys have really evolved where you have your hands in a lot of different um, uh, services across the board. Uh, but that's also spoke to you've embraced your employee count, as you said, and you have a breadth of skills that you directly offer, but you're kind of a one-stop shop at this point. I was kind of curious how you would describe MindGrub to, uh, you know, somebody that hasn't heard of your, uh, hasn't heard of your firm at this point. Yeah. So uh, MindGrub's, you know, mission is to unlock human potential, right? <laughs> so that's what we do is we unlock human potential. Um, how we do that is that we are a, a technical agency and a creative consultancy. Um, and just to give a little more color to that, we started out as a fulfillment company, just engineers in a basement. And clients said, well, can you also do a little design? Thought, okay, sure. So I started doing design. And then they said, well, you know, this is an application. Maybe we should plan it out ahead of time. So we started doing user experience design, wireframing. And, you know, back in the day, I worked with Visio. Now, you know, they're on sketch and a thousand new um, different products. But we just slowly started kind of expanding that thin slice of services. So we started really core on engineers. We added design, added user experience. We added support for testing and support. And then we started to expand into more of those agency services on the marketing side. So we, in the beginning, added brand and identity, communication planning, right, through the user experience design, deployment, and then post-marketing, um, you know, we really focus on both digital and traditional marketing, but a really strong competency in, in marketing automation and digital. 
So we just, starting with making the apps and making the sites, we just kept expanding the services around that. And so, yes, we're very much end-to-end now with a real competency for technology. And it sounds like the primary point there was you listen to your uh, your customers indirectly. What what exactly are they looking for? And then you adapted uh, there for Ralph, which is always the smartest way to go. Uh, you mentioned you're closing in on 200 employees, and congrats to you on that. Uh, talk about the the culture that you've wanted to have for the company and, and how you've maintained that over this past year dealing, dealing with the pandemic. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so culture-wise, um, you know, the culture just originally was innovation, right? I was a tech guy. I wanted to go solve major problems, and so I just dug in, and our, our culture was work hard. Um, and then as we started to grow and we started to add more agency services, um, the work hard wasn't cutting it. We worked very hard, but we were starting to get some turnover and some burnout and we weren't working smart. Right. And we, and we've also always played hard too, but we didn't have a good balance between work and play. And about, uh, let's see, 2017, 2018, we started to hit a little bit of a growth wall. And in, in Baltimore, a lot of the agencies know you hit about 80 people and chaos starts to show up. And a lot of the agencies have pushed over 100, but then they've fallen back to like 75 and 80. We were at that 80 level and I knew that there was going to be some chaos. And we were doing most projects agency style at that point, still heavier engineering projects, but agency style. And in 2017, we started to really look at, I think it might even be a year before, really look at agile software development. And so by adding Agile, we were able to take on much larger projects and blow through that ceiling. The other thing, though, that was the biggest game changer and not just a shift to, you know, how we did, you know, software development lifecycle to handle much bigger accounts. The other game changer is that um, about three years ago, um, I did some reading. I figured out that we need to make our company entirely employee centric. And at that point, it didn't seem natural to me. It was like, you know, I'm, I'm a, an Xer, I'm between the boomers and the boomers are just do what I say, you know, and they were from generation or the greatest generation, which was just, you know, stand in the factory line here and, um, you know, make this widget. And the boomers are standing this factory line here, do what I say. Um, the millennials now um, very much um, want to have that entrepreneurial spirit. They, they want to make sure that the environment's right. They want to make sure that you know, things are of great moral, you know, uh, fiber, right? And so all these things are important. And it really hit me to retain and grow our employee base. As an Xer, I had to listen to more what the millennials were saying. And so we made a big push and we said, let's make this company employee centric. And everything we want to do is just focus from almost like user experience software, focus on the end user, focus on the employee. And by doing that, we realized, um, our healthcare benefits weren't great. Our time off wasn't great. We work too hard. We don't play. And even though we had some great bells and whistles, we have a climbing wall in the office. We have game rooms, right? It looked like, you know, a lot of fun and great culture, but that was icing. And really investing in the employees um, is what did it. And so after working really hard for the COVID, you know, we, we looked to the North and we gave our employees three extra Canadian holidays. You look at the American holiday system, it's a mess, right? We have we have, they're all stacked in the fourth quarter. And then you have like New Year's Day in the first quarter, maybe presidents if you do that or Martin Luther. And then you have a couple right around the summer. 
But in the spring, you have this huge stretch of no holidays. So we added a long weekend where we're all off. Everybody gets to have off. Um, last long weekend, our adventure club went skiing. And so a lot of the employees went uh, whitetail together. Um, we, we added a marketplace this year. So we also, with COVID, we decided to go entirely virtual. So we said, that's it. You don't have to report to the office anymore. Stay home, stay safe. We are now consequently opening our office again. But we started out about 105 people before COVID. We have about 165 employees now and about 30 contractors. Most yeah. of those hires are not in the greater Baltimore area. And as a result, we have employees all over the place. And we used to, when an employee would show up, we'd put a goodie bag on their desk. And I thought, well, you know, that doesn't make sense anymore because we're virtual. So we let's mail a goodie bag. But at the same time, when I listened to my employees, you know, I heard that we're not supposed to ask for people's clothing sizes anymore. And I said, well, if you can't ask for their clothes, because that makes some people feel, you know, upset. So I thought, well, we got to get them to get their goodie bag. So they have to be able to self-select their goods. So we started a marketplace. And then with a diversified team, we figured communication suffered. So we added an intranet. And, um, and then when we were really busy and we wanted to have, you know, just a really good environment, we added, um, my wife actually uh, started this restaurant. So we added the Mind Pub where people can go and hang out and we have events there. We have an outdoor speaker. Here. I can go on and on, but we focused on our employees and it was a game changer for us. The other game changer is that we opened up all our finances and it scared the shit out of everybody at first. Oops scared the heck out of everybody at first uh, by opening up our finances. But um, it really not turned things around because we were always successful, but it made everybody realize um, how important it was to focus on billability, right? So that we put it out there. We, we do increases once a year. We do them in the summer. We have uh, this global operations dashboard that has data from all of our departments and we make it transparent. We put it in front of the employees so they know exactly where our sales are they know where our our revenues are and they know where our profitability is at all times and we have a red line and a green line and as long as we hit that green line they know they're getting their increases if we exceed the green line like we did last year covid year but uh you know we were hitting 20 percent EBITDA and we wanted 10 so we gave it back and then some we um we covered everybody's health care we had never done well we did that originally at MindGrab in in 2008 and then healthcare costs have gone up so much every year. We always covered the lion's share, but we got uncompetitive. So now for an individual, we cover all their healthcare. Um, three holidays cost uh, several hundred you know, thousand dollars, but we gave the money back to employees because ultimately we want to grow an amazing company and we want to keep growing at 30% per year. And uh, you got to make it employee centric. You got to have you know, transparent finances. You got to have amazing communication. And all of that leads to good culture. So anybody listening and wondering why Todd runs a successful company, he's talked about uh, listening to his clients and then listening to his employees and really just how important are those two things. So I would imagine that you have a high retention rate at, at this point. Uh, and that speaks to that. I mean, it, it's uh, obviously, you know, how expensive employee turnover is. So being able to listen to your employees and being transparent with them on step-by-step, step, this is where we are well, and this is what needs to be hit. You know, that's a uh, better point than you know, because that is what kicked it off. 
is we started to get with opening our finances, we got very data focused and we started looking at our retention rate. And um, in our industry, believe it or not, turnover is as high as 40% on average in bad times. Typically, it's like mid to low 30s. So you're losing a third of your team every year in agency and um, you know high-tech consulting businesses. So that yeah. was what got us to be employee-centric. I thought that's ridiculous because it costs us 15 grand a turnover. So you do the math, say you have 100 employees and a third of them turns over, right? 33, let's just go sake of math, 30 employees turn over and it costs you 15 grand. That's almost a half million dollars in just turnover. So I thought, well, if I could invest a half million dollars every year back into employees and reduce that turnover rate, I'm making out ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, uh, I don't know if that was factored in the the number, but your time and development of those of the those people. So you've spent that year they're on board, and you're you're onboarding them, and you're developing them just to walk watch them walk out the back. That would be horrible. So congrats on you for. Uh, making the adjustment there. And we did. I'm proud to say we got our turnover down to 17%. Um, well, which that's, is, which that's I love <laughs> But in our industry, that that is that is outstanding. And we do now uh, another culture thing. Uh, we we do some fun things. At three years, you get you get an artist makes pop art for you. At five years at Minecraft, you get a, a bobblehead in your likeness. But if you return, you get a boomerang with your name on it. So uh, we. We try to incentivize people to come back. We get it. There's turnover in this industry. And a lot of owners, as soon as they leave, they're like, that's it. Take them out of pictures. I can't stand that person anymore. They're dead to me. No loyalty to these kids anymore. But it's not true. They just, a lot of them, we grabbed them out of college. They'd never had another experience. And the industry, they turn over every couple of years. So let them have another experience. And they'll probably realize they had it better at your company, or they might realize that. And so we we encourage them to come back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh... Sometimes it's good to see what else is out there, and, and then if they if they want to come back, uh, they'll be that much more um, invested uh, going forward. Uh, you mentioned a couple of your different entities, uh, MindPub. Uh, uh, three I, I saw that were pretty interesting: MindGov, MindBuzz, and MindGrub Ventures. In the uh, with the idea of time, I'll let you pick which one you want to. Uh, you can pick one of the three. Uh, let's uh, talk about. Talk about that, just which one you're most currently excited about. And I know they're all your kids, but so hard to pick. But yeah, I mean, they're all just taken off. They're all, you know, different focuses, different industries. Um, but uh, probably an exciting one. Uh, MindBuzz is getting a lot of traction right now. Uh, MindBuzz is a marketing focus on the cannabis and hemp industry. A uh, good friend of mine, actually, going back, you know, back in the day, I talked about digital organism. Um, Walt and his brother, Brett, um, founded Digital Organism. I was employee number one, a minority partner. And we worked together back in 99 to 2001. We went our separate ways, talk about boomerangs. And Walt um, had a long career in marketing and um, ended up getting into the cannabis and hemp space. And he's a hemp farmer in Pennsylvania with a, with a marketing background. And um, Walt and I... I don't know how our paths crossed again, but we just started talking. I think it was at a Baltimore networking event. We ran into each other, you know, big hugs. We were partners years and years ago. And uh, we both found out we had, you know, I have a passion for emerging markets as well as potentially cannabis, but um, he had gotten into that space. And so um, Mindgrub had moved into marketing and I thought, 
how can we really get into that space? And it's, it is a um, kind of a cottage industry right now, although the suits are showing up. Uh, they don't even use LinkedIn. They use Facebook. And so I was talking to Walt and I thought, wow, we would really need a brand that is specific to this industry and a site. And we got to make it look like we're part of the cottage industry and we're not the suits. Not that Minecraft ever wears suits. But so we started another brand called Mind Buzz, uh, which is which is focused on that industry and having a lot of fun with it. We just one of our other ventures called Movie Car Rentals. Um, just loaned or uh, leased out one of its cars to Mind Buzz. It's a 1970s VW van. It's gorgeous with the big V front. We just got it wrapped, and now we're gonna dress up in you know 70s style clothes and and do a film shoot um, <laughs> about that. So uh, having a lot of fun with that. I mean, the other brands are great too. Mind Gov obviously is our our push into government. Uh, we're doing some really cool things, making mobile apps to fly drones and shoot rockets. Um, really neat stuff there. And then, you know, the Mind Pub, as I mentioned, is our restaurant and an incubator concept. And we have another incubator called the Mind Hub, which is a technology incubator. And then, of course, the Mind Grub Ventures, which you'd also mentioned, the investment in the startup technology companies. And uh, uh, and then you're also providing, you're developing the, or maintaining the software and marketing. So kind of, a, again, one-stop shop uh, uh, there. So let's go outside of Mind Grub. A couple of different things you got going on. Uh, you're chairman of the board for the Maryland Tech Council, the largest technology yeah. trade association in the state of Maryland. Uh, great organization there. Primarily, anybody listening outside of Maryland, what should they know about this region, particularly uh, in that space? Yeah, so um, the Maryland Tech Council, just to give a little background there, we really have you know five focuses. One is advocacy. So at the end of the day, we are a lobbying group for technology and life sciences companies in the state. And we spend a lot of time in Annapolis, you know, from you know, the, really the beginning of the year through um, April during session, um, you know, really lobbying on behalf of tech and life sciences. And in those industries, we are booming. So on the life sciences space, um, we have a lot of the, you know, pharmaceutical companies located here who are working on COVID vaccines. Um, our healthcare system is really amazing between Hopkins, University of Maryland, Mercy, um, and others. And, um, and, you know, on the tech side, we're the cyber capital of, you know, the world, I would like to say, um, at least our nation. And, um, and also in technology, we have a really big push on manufacturing. We used to be a really manufacturing town. Um, that is now there's a resurgence of um, light manufacturing and emerging technologies there. And those things are all coming together. So you look at manufacturing, technology, and life sciences, um, the manufacturing business with Industry 4.0 is very much adopting technology, technology and data with life sciences, um, and certainly you know, um, manufacturing is both part of life sciences and part of technology. So the Maryland Technology Council focuses on those, um, those areas from advocacy, workforce development, we have an affinity program. So um, startup companies, if you want to provide health care, you can do that now by joining the Maryland Tech Council, whereas otherwise, if you're a small startup, you don't have that opportunity. We also focus on um, education and connectivity through network and business development. So Maryland, you know, to answer your question is, is a strong state in life sciences, manufacturing, um, technology in the forms of, you know, cyber, health tech, manufacturing tech, education, 
um, and a few others. Advertising is really, really strong for us. We have um, more talent per capita um, than I think more tech talent per capita, particularly if you combine us with uh, DMV, which is the area surrounding um, DC, than, uh, than the nation at large. So it's just an amazing area, not to mention we have beaches and mountains too. Uh, so there's a lot you can do here. We have our problems as well. Um, you know, certainly, you know, diversity and inclusion is something that we're hyper-focused on now in the Baltimore area. And um, that's another area that um, Minecraft's getting heavily involved in and the Maryland Technology Council um, with the new diversity and inclusion committee. So despite a lot of great things, we also, you know, as with the rest of the nation, have our challenges um, that we need to address as well. Yeah, plenty of challenges, but uh, the, the strengths, they also need to be touted and uh, uh, do a better job of making sure people are directly aware of all the, uh, the existing positives that, that are here. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, well, you've also joined the Baltimore Tracks Initiative, a coalition of companies that have come together to take small but meaningful steps in the right direction to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion in tech. Uh, give us some initial thoughts on the formation of that group and what you're directly looking to accomplish there. Yeah, uh, Baltimore Tracks is a great program. Um, some of my employees came to me with that, and they said, would you be interested in doing these things, um, not requiring um, advanced degrees to get a job with MyGrub, basically you don't have to go to college, tracking our data and making sure you improve that data over time, um, and referring candidates that might not be a good fit, but if they're, you know, um, minority or, or, you know, inclusive candidate, sending them to others. And I said, that done, we already do all of those things. Um, we have never required college degrees. I'm adamant about data. That was my background. I was a math guy, a math and artist. Um, and we're trying to do things like, you know, omit names on resumes and even more increase our our channels of where we get candidates. So we're now doing a big redesign of Coppin State's website, reaching out to Morgan um, and Baltimore Tracks was another one of those initiatives that helps, you know, increase our our presence in diversity and inclusion initiatives. It gets us more reach, uh, but you know, there's so much we do already. And, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that uh, our senior most leadership, our C-suite is 75% minority. Um, so my other three C-levels are all uh, minority or women. Our leadership team is 50% women and minority. Um, the company as a whole is almost 50% women. But when you look at the 200 resources, there's more we can do for um, diversity and minorities, particularly in middle management. So that's where we're focusing on. When we look at our data, you know, at the top, we're extremely diverse. But in our middle management particularly, we can do a lot more there. So the Baltimore Tracks Initiative helped us identify that. Um, I was really proud of my senior leadership, but I assumed if, you know, I mean, I always just hired the best candidates, but I assumed if I happen to be a diverse at the leadership, it would kind of trickle into the rest of the business. And it, and it simply doesn't without being more active and, um, and doing what you can to just increase those channels. So, you know, my candidate flow should look like, you know, the population of the state of Maryland, and then I'm doing my job. And then I will still continue to hire the best candidates. But if your candidate flow, if you're not getting enough diversity, you got to reach out. There's a lot of historically, you know, black colleges and universities with really solid computer science programs or art programs 
right? And if you're just going to the local college that isn't, you know, historically minority or inclusive, then you're being a little lazy. So you just, you got to do the work to reach out and make sure that you got, you know, that, that inbound candidate flow. And then if you pick the best candidates from that, you will end up with, you know, a diverse population. So MindGrub, I feel like we've always done that. We can do better with our, our middle management uh, and, and Baltimore Tracks opened my eyes to that. Otherwise, we, you know, we have, have been there as a company already. Uh, but there's about 25, 30 companies now, and they're all, you know, signing this pledge. So it should be a game changer. Um, among others, there's a lot of other things we can do. Um, Brandon Scott, um, our new mayor, is, is doing a lot of great work there. Um, I'm, I'm uh, pleasantly surprised and impressed. And I, you know, I was skeptical, you know, considering our last couple of mayors and um, some of the shenanigans, but Hey, I, I think, I think we are really setting ourselves up for success here um, in Baltimore. There's, there is a lot more we have to do, you know, along the financial lines, education, um, healthcare, um, you know, recreation, uh, you know, we do have uh, a little bit of uh, some clustering going on in Baltimore that we need to break up and new projects like Le Lexington market, uh, Minecraft's future town. These are on the seams of the communities that I that I hope start to pull it together. And you look at some of the other businesses now, and, and some of the uh, other diversity inclusion programs. They're focusing on trying to get you know minority owners to you know put some businesses in downtown Baltimore, and some majority owners trying to put businesses in East and West Baltimore. We got to mix it up. You know, we gotta we gotta truly be you know a mixing bowl. To, to work well as a city. So I, I'm starting to see that happen now. And, you know, the BLM movement in this past year and COVID really, you know, shined a light on things and it's, it's a good thing. So Todd, not, not only have you built a successful company and continue to invest in the city and, you know, uh, really help in terms of being chairman of the board of the Maryland Tech Council, being involved with Baltimore Tracks, but, you also launched a site, uh, We Are Baltimore, which, again, I really think speaks to who you are individually and the leadership that you provide our home. So our thanks to that, to you for that. Tell us about that site, your motivations there, and what do you want people outside of Baltimore to be to be aware of? Yeah, so We Are Baltimore came out of, um, you know, the spat between Elijah Cummings and Trump where Trump said, you know, Baltimore is, I don't know, a shithole rat infested place, I think was, is uh, close to his words. And of course, in Baltimore, we love Baltimore. Uh, Charm City, it is, it is an amazing place. We just don't do a good job of telling everybody else that. We don't have national publications in Baltimore. Um, and the things that do get out, you know, the, you know, the wire, for instance, was a, a heck of a drama on HBO about Baltimore. And, but so many people saw it, that's their impression of Baltimore. And it, it was accurate about an aspect of Baltimore. Um, it was accurate about our challenges. But what it did not do is showcase our assets. And we have a lot of assets. Uh, Baltimore used to be the biggest city on the East Coast at one point. We have a harbor, we have a really big harbor. We're right on the Chesapeake Bay. Um, we now have amazing airport and transportation. Um, and so we have to do a better job of letting people know about our, our assets, our universities, our healthcare system. Um, and so that's what wearebaltimore.com was all about. 
is we just felt compelled to step up and put a site out there that showcased our assets. And so we, you know, put a big video intro. Um, we did a speech. Um, our partner, Greg, um, recorded a speech on that to really showcase our assets. And we did this because um, the hashtag, when Trump and Elijah Cummings were going at it, the hashtag, we are Baltimore, started trending. And so we were quick to say, if this hashtag's trending, it's going to catch some national eyeballs. So we threw up a website with the same domain name as fast as we could. And we were getting hundreds of thousands of downloads for you know the better part of a few months or views better part of a few months. And so for that window, we were able to get you know a little bit of a force multiplier leveraging that spat and the hashtag to try to talk about our assets. And um, and I, I think we made a little headway. There's more we can do. You, Talk, you look at uh, the programs with um, Visit Baltimore right now. They're really focused on on trying to do that, trying to you know make us think about how great Baltimore is at the national level, so that we can combat some of that negative publicity we've had over the years. If we have to do a better job of touting our streams, then we need to uh, make as many people aware as possible about MindGrub. Congrats on what you've directly built, and thank you for being uh, the leader you are uh, uh, for the city, man. You too, Chris. Thank you so much for you know getting me on my program. I can't thank you. You know you've done a lot of you know great content programs over the years, so we appreciate you very much as well. Thank you, man.